You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. It's a joy and an honor to be with you this morning. I trust you know what a blessing it is to have such gifts in your pastors, Ben and uh, Jessica. God bless you guys and thank you for having me. Thank you for investing in our ministry. That's amazing. Laura and I, the last 15 years, have lived and worked in over 75 war and disaster zones. We are based in Germany and we deploy all around the world. If you get an alert on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever, if you see an alert about a major humanitarian emergency, a disaster, an earthquake, an army invasion, those are the places that we're most likely on our way or working in. We coordinate life-saving humanitarian missions, food aid, water supplies, medical attention, whatever is needed. And we bring people the good news, the hope of Jesus Christ in some of the darkest, most difficult moments in human history. We couldn't do it without you, and so thank you so much. Yeah, um, I'm an expert in a really weird topic, humanitarian diplomacy. Humanitarian diplomacy is part of international law. That means I wrote a book and did some teaching and, and research and a doctorate on the area of negotiating with armed groups or negotiating with governments. So it's my job to come alongside and talk to ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, governments, whatever it may be, to convince them to allow unarmed humanitarian relief workers into these areas, these disaster zones, to work and to provide aid. And so that's kind of my area of expertise. God's used that to, to open up doors in some really restricted, difficult countries around the world. Gets me also, give me a chance to also teach about, I would say, 120 future diplomats from different countries around the world. They come and they listen to what I have to say. I also have a chance to talk about my faith. And it's amazing how God can use our, our skills or our, our education and our background. And I think that's for all of us really encouraging. After a really successful negotiation, I come home uh, to my wife and my five-year-old daughter where I lose every single negotiation. <laughs> I'm a sucker. Laura and Ella send their greetings. Uh, we have a pretty intense travel schedule. We also co-pastor a church with my mom and dad who are missionaries who you also support. My dad was uh, born and raised in Grand Haven, so right here. And uh, we are co-pastoring a church in Austria over the border from Germany. And so in between disasters, that's what we do. We've had a lot of events at church lately, and so Ella and Laura had to stay back. They send their greetings um, and their love. There they stand to this day, the ruins of St. Andrew's Castle, built some 800 years ago. The castle swelled out of a rock along a small beach and the adjacent rocky waters of the North Sea. But below the castle, below the castle carved out of a solid rock, you will find to this day the infamous bottle dungeon. Yeah, like a bottle, narrow on the top and wide on the bottom, the dungeon was a notorious prison that housed the scoundrels and villains of the time. And there they waited in a hopeless, dark pit, the villains, the criminals of St. Andrews. Rarely was anyone given a pardon, and legend has it that no one ever escaped out of the dungeon of St. Andrews without the help from someone on the outside. Without the help from someone on the outside, no one was ever 
able to escape that pit. I wonder this morning if you can, as a Christ follower, identify with a life punished to live in eternal separation, a pit of hopelessness, because that's the fact. You and I, all because of our shortcomings, our rebellion, and our sin, we all deserve eternal separation from God, to be in a pit of hopelessness. And there comes a point in our lives when we, we have to recognize that it doesn't matter what we do, we cannot save ourselves. No good deeds, no kind words, of apologies, no uh, trying just to live a life that's a little better. None of that is enough. But the good news for you and I is that we don't have to rescue ourselves because Jesus came to the rescue and Jesus continue to save today and to rescue today. That's why you and I can celebrate when we read Psalm chapter 40. He lifted me out of a pit and he set my feet on a rock, making my feet steps secure. The Apostle Paul writes, Jesus gave us life for our sins in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. And this morning as we talk about missions, missions is a great opportunity to ask the Lord through his Holy Spirit, what can we do to rescue people who locally and internationally are still finding themselves in a hopeless pit because there are billions of people who to this day, we who will die and will be separated from God unless someone from the outside comes and rescues them. I've seen a lot in my life. Never imagined when I first started actually my career in banking and negotiations and banking that I would do what I do. And, and often people say, Mike, don't you just ever want to quit? You've seen so much evil, so much suffering. Do you ever just want to give up? And, you know, it is, it's tough. You know, going to a disaster to see what a hurricane can do. Recently saw a hurricane last year wiped out an entire island or earthquakes. You really see utter destruction. But what gets to me and what's really hard for me to, to process is actually the, the evil demonic creativity of humans finding new, improved, creative ways of hurting one another. That to me, genocide, war, conflict, to see what humans can do to one another is so difficult to process. But the reason Laura and I don't give up it's because we believe that God hasn't given up on this world yet. God has a plan. And we've learned and we have seen over and over again that in human suffering, in the midst of hopelessness, God is never just a passive bystander. No, he is at work through his Holy Spirit. The, word, the Lord is working, rescuing, saving. He is near. He comforts people when they've lost everything. And you know what? For you, that's great news. In your situation today, here in Michigan, your divorce, your bankruptcy, wayward children, your illness, your depression, your anxieties, God is present. And his Holy Spirit wants to work in and through you. So missions allows us to really turn the spotlight on and to really ask, what is God up to around the world? And this morning, allow me to draw your attention to a group of people in this world who are lost, who will die, not only physically, but spiritually, unless someone rescues them from the outside. 
Today, there are well over 60 million of these people. Globally, one in every 122 humans on earth belong to this people group. If you would gather all these people from this group into one location, you would have created the 24th largest nation on earth. These people have several things in common. They're afraid, they're desperate, they have nowhere to go, and they're rarely welcomed. They're lost physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You may have never met any one of them personally, but you might have heard of a very famous family in history that played a significant role. You may have even heard their story before. Their story reads like it's of a novel, an action thriller. It started with a political crisis and social unrest. It forced this family on a journey, a journey that physicians today would not recommend a pregnant woman to take. They weren't welcomed. They had to learn to rough it. At the peak of the crisis, they had to flee the country and seek refuge somewhere else. Their names? Their names are Mary and Joseph, and their son's name was Jesus. We can read in the New Testament, an angel came to Joseph and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother under the cover of darkness. They were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's life. Shocking news for you and I today. But as a toddler, Jesus Christ was a refugee. Refugee is defined by international law as a person who is outside his or her country of nationality and unable or unwilling to return with a well-founded fear of persecution. And like Jesus and his family today, Every single night, there are new refugees. Over 35,000 people become new refugees every day. They leave by the cover of darkness. They leave everything behind simply to find refuge. Refugees want to go home. They don't care about your job. They just don't want their kids to be raped and tortured or killed. And today, wars and conflicts have displaced more people than at any other time in human history. There are over 60 million of these people. It's really the greatest humanitarian disaster since World War II. And you might know Syria in the Middle East, the country of Syria, the conflict there is the single largest driver of displacement. And when people flee Syria, they flee from the regime, they flee ISIS or whoever, many of these refugees either transit through or stay in a place that's been known since the Bible times as the Valley of Tears. Valley of Tears is a real place. I was recently there. It's on the border, no man's land, almost between Lebanon and Syria. And what stood between me and ISIS at the time was a mountain, what looked like a mountain on the map. It was more like a little speed bump. There was, however, a, a motley crew of Hezbollah fighters with three tanks. The men assured me that Daesh, or ISIS as we know them here, could never overrun their checkpoint, but they conceded after I asked, no, no one really knew if the tank could actually fire. They hadn't been using them since the beginning of the Lebanese Civil War. 
1975. <laughs> so little assurance from Hezbollah. What made me laugh, and I kid you not, true story, the ringleader, the skinny tall guy in his uniform reminded me of Barney Fife. His bullets were not on his gun. They were on the side of his belt. <laughs> Very comforting security, I know. But today, today the Valley of Tears is home to 400,000 broken, terrified, traumatized, hopeless, cold, hungry Syrian refugees who are simply trying to find a place away from the bombs, the rapes, the systematic killings. When you are in the Valley of Tears, when you walk at night through these refugee camps, these are cities as far as your eye can see, you will hear the weeping. When you go into the tents, you will hear story of unimaginable suffering. Fathers terrified at the thought of seeing their children and wives taken away by ISIS to become domestic or sex slaves. Here met a man who for six days had only one loaf of bread to, flee, uh, to feed his family of four kids and his wife as they fled at night through the desert to get to safety to the Valley of Tears. One loaf of bread this father refused to eat, but he shared his rations with his kids. It's here that you'll see young children in the snow during a snowstorm wearing flip-flops or being barefoot. You'll see them wearing summer clothing because although it's the winter and it's a snowstorm just a few weeks ago, these kids are still wearing the only clothing that they had on their backs when they fled in the middle of the night and the last summer. The youngest child, even the age of my daughter Ella, who is five, these children can tell you stories of unspeakable horror. So today, if you ask me, Mike, are refugees terrorists? I can assure you the answer is no. These are human beings created in the image of God who are fleeing terrorism. But there's something else that's going on in the Valley of Tears. It's something that's not reported in the news. But in the Valley of Tears, slowly but surely, mourning is slowly being turned into joy and even laughter. It's because of churches like you. Churches like you enable us to come alongside of suffering people and bring hope to them. Because of you, I was able to have tea in a makeshift shelter we had built for a widow and her several children. It was this makeshift shelter that you enabled us to build that sustained this family during a winter storm that killed countless children. We fed that family for months. We helped the mom find a job to feed her own kids. And we were able to put her daughters, who had never been to school in their whole life, to into school. And we were able to lead them to Jesus of you. Today, hundreds, thousands of families are living in safety in small but clean and warm quarters. Girls are going to school for the first time. We provide life-saving food rations, warm clothing, blankets, mattresses, fuel to fuel the little tents in winter storms, emergency-based feeding programs for kids, all because of people like you. We are this summer again taking hundreds of Syrian refugee kids from the ISIS-controlled area of Raqqa, and we take them to summer camp. These kids live in horrid, horrid. These refugee camps are, are dirty, they're filthy, not sanitary, they're boring, and they're dangerous. This is where terrorists are recruiting young kids. This is where sex traffickers are trying to buy, especially young girls. So we take these kids 
out of the camps for several weeks, take them to the mountains to a Christian camp. We clothe them, we feed them, play a lot of fun games. They get to see trauma counselors as they learn to deal with their grief. And these Muslim children from ISIS-controlled territory meet Jesus. 65% of the kids who come accept Jesus Christ. Then they go back home and they tell their families, and we have a follow-up program all year round through our partner ministries that then are discipling the moms and dads in the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. That is what you do. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to talk to Malika. Malika's a little girl. Malika in Arabic means princess or queen. Beautiful girl, seven years old. Malika has been part of our, our program feeding and, and school education program for about two, three years. I'd met her when she had just arrived. Time she was five years old. Malika comes again from ISIS controlled territory. ISIS came into her home, and this five year old beautiful girl witnessed as ISIS beheaded her mom, her dad, her three siblings, and grandma and grandpa. ISIS left this one girl to live just to tell the story of horror and suffering. This little girl, by the grace of God, Walked for days, found safety in a camp, in a Christian camp that we were working in. It's been since placed with a Christian family. And as Malika told me that story, I just began to cry. I've heard hundreds of stories in the last few months alone, but you don't get used to the suffering that people experience. And as I begin to cry, I feel Malika rubbing my arm, and she goes, Mike, you don't have to cry. You see, as I walked in the dark every night to safety, Jesus was there, and he walked with me, and he told me that he wipes away every tear, and you know what, Mike? Jesus told me, and it's actually written in the Bible, I checked, that God is the father to the fatherless, so you don't have to cry. You know, it comes down to the power of one story. If all I would have to report to you, if all my 10 years of partnering with you, that a young girl named Malika, through the work, the moving of the Holy Spirit, is now going to be spending eternity with God, your investment was worth it. Brothers and sisters, I stand to you as a guest, but I boldly will tell you one thing. There is a danger for the modern American church. It's simply this. It's not terrorism. It is this. If we as the modern church view human suffering, humanitarian emergencies, if we look at wars, if we look at the migrant issue at the border, when we look at human sufferings through the eyes of politics, when we make our decisions based on fear or economy, I believe that you and I would someday be judged to be on the wrong side of history. God's word is clear. Jeremiah, it says, this is God's message. Attend to matters of justice, set things right between people, rescue victims from their exploiters, do not take advantage of the homeless, the orphans, the widows. God's heart for refugees is evident throughout Scripture. In Isaiah, God speaks, give refugees from Moab sanctuary with you. Be a safe place for those on the run from the killing fields. You see, when you and I Feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, clothe the naked, protect those in danger. You and I do it. It's unto the Lord. So I commend you 
I commend you for saying, you know what? We will jump on a bus, we'll get into cars, and we're going to go to Dearborn, and we're going to spend time with people who no one else wants to get to know. Their neighbors don't want them. Their neighbors are scared of them. But you will come from the west side of Michigan, and you will just simply sit down, and you get to hear for yourselves the stories of survival. You will meet husbands and wives who love each other, Muslims, but they love each other, who love their children, who simply want a new future. They have seen the hatred of their religion, and they're looking to the promise. They're not trying to find hope in politics or, or finding a new job. They're looking for hope that only you and I can give them, the good news of Jesus Christ. So I commend you for taking that day. It'll change your perspective. Several years ago, we were traveling. The sun had set. It's a story you may have already heard, but it was already dark, the middle of the night. And we stepped out of this plane into the darkest night, and we had arrived where we were told, 1,600 6, miles into the Sahara Desert, that we would find the forgotten people. This is where Al-Qaeda is drawing dangerous new battle lines across sub-Saharan Africa. We were told the forgotten people had been in this desert for over 30 years, barely surviving, surrounded by the world's longest landmine wall. But also the forgotten people because we know that this was an unreached people group. In their entire history as a people, as a nation, they'd never heard the story of Jesus Christ. People had tried, they'd been killed, but no one ever heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we arrived and we were encountered with incredible suffering. Surrounded by the world's longest landmine mall, you can imagine kids who play football and run into the landmine fields by accident. The harsh conditions of 130 degrees Fahrenheit where nothing grows. I saw children chewing on pieces of rope just because they were so hungry and the game that they played was, let's pretend to eat something. And so this rope was almost like chewing gum just to kind of distract themselves. So we set up a supply chain. We decided to set up a child feeding program, therapeutic feeding to get kids used to eating solid foods again, bringing in supplies over a thousand miles to the desert. It's a huge logistical nightmare. But as we were making these plans, we just went from tent to tent in these three tent cities in the middle of nowhere. We would sit in people's tents. We would hear their stories, drink seven cups of hot tea with them. It really helps when you're really hot, drink seven cups of hot tea. <laughs> but there was the custom. They would spray you with perfume. They would feed you whatever they had. We slept in a tent with the refugee family. They refused to let us sleep outside alone. We went from tent to tent, and we would hear their stories, and then we would share about our faith, and we would always pray, a prayer for blessing. Can we pray over your children? Can we lay hands on your on your sick grandma here? Can we lay hands on, 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 on your, your, your boy who, who's not growing well, who is sick? And we would just begin to pray and, and share, and, and everyone was really, really open. And at the, the end of my time there, I got dragged into the military commander's office. They said they invited me, but, you know, when you're being dragged by your arm by a bunch of dudes, it doesn't feel very uh, voluntary. <laughs> They dragged me, they shoved me into this seat, left me there, and the commander came in, in this dark office, and he sat across the table from me, and he just pointed his big old fat finger at me, and he said, why are you here? These are the moments you rely on the Holy Spirit 
to lead you. Moments you, well, I'm a consultant or I'm a professor. I, I work in humanitarian diplomacy. And then there's other times, like in this situation, although Christians had just been killed and I didn't really know what would happen, I just felt this was the time to speak truth. And I said, sir, I'm an American missionary sent by churches from across the United States. We are devastated to hear that your people are suffering. We are afraid. It's taken us so long. We've never heard of the forgotten people. And I finally arrived. We're here to help you. But I'm also an ambassador. I have a message from God. It's a message that God had written and spoken thousands of years ago, but it's a message for the forgotten people, sir. You can read it in Psalm chapter 9. Psalm chapter 9, it says this, sir. The needy will not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor will not perish forever. Sir, God has not forgotten the forgotten people. Sir, I'm here to help the Saharawi if you would just let us to bring hope and to bring help to your people. We got quiet. Kind of an awkward conversation as, you're, as the guy's deciding your, your fate. <laughs> the, the exception of this little rusty ceiling fan wheezing under the oppressive desert heat. The, the room was quiet. Suddenly, the man jumped up and ran around the desk, grabbed me by the arm and said, Mike, Mike, if, if you come, so help me, Allah, if you come and help my people, you can say and you can do whatever you like. Friends, Proverbs says the gift opens the door for the giver. And I've seen it countless times when we come alongside of suffering people, people who feel like abandoned by everyone, even their own people, and we as believers come alongside of them and we meet their physical and their emotional needs. When we shake their hands, put our arms around them, when we cry with them, when we give the little that we have and we share it with them, the Holy Spirit begins to soften their hearts hearts, break down the barriers, and makes their hearts receptive to the good message of Jesus Christ. You see, you and I are not robots. You and I are not left on our own to preach. The Holy Spirit goes before us. He prepares. He opens doors, and he saves, and he rescues. Just came back from ISIS control territory a couple weeks ago. One of the pastors that we invest and you support and, and we support his ministry is a former Muslim who accepted Jesus. He and his wife both were Muslim. Jesus appeared to them in a dream and a vision, called them. They would be preachers, pastors. Their families wanted to kill them, honor killings because they had converted, turned away from Islam, became Christians. But they said, Mike, the Holy Spirit, ever since we met the Holy Spirit and he filled us after accepting Jesus, we are not afraid anymore. We're done hiding. Hiding takes so much energy, so much work. Being afraid is so distracting. We are just going to preach the gospel like the church in Acts did. And so they invited me to greet their women's ministry. I thought I would meet three, four ladies in a discipleship setting, but no, as I walked this top of this big building and to the roof the sun was blinding me but as I kind of adjusted I saw over 300 women 
all from ISIS-controlled territory who met Jesus and who are being discipled and trained in the ways of God and taking that message to their homes. And someday, I believe, they will return to Syria when God ever grants peace. And they will be rebuilding a nation not based on hatred, but based on the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what you are investing in. Isn't that great? This morning... I want to just briefly close with this little story. I spent a lot of time talking to people, lost everything, and a while back I started meeting Syrian refugees who began their journey, fleeing Syria, Jordan, going to Lebanon, Iraq, Turkey. Some take a boat, some walk, and I, I asked these mostly Muslims, although we also help persecuted Christians, also persecuted Christians in Syria, but. I asked these Muslims, you know, as you, as you kind of went through the Middle East looking for safety, could you go to the mosques? I said, no, man. The mosque closed the doors. No one wanted to help us. We were an inconvenience. But we knew if we could meet a Christian, if we could find a church, we could knock on the door, and they would help us. I've had hundreds of people who said their only hope was to meet a Christian because they had heard only Christians have compassion on people. It's the summer months. The movement of people is really intense in the summer when the weather is nice and the Mediterranean Sea that divides the Middle East and Europe, safety in Europe, when the Mediterranean Sea calms, not just cruise ships, you know, Disney cruises and Viking cruises, but, you know, people smugglers will use really dangerous uh, poorly maintained boats. They will charge about $2,000 per refugee to pe for people to risk their lives to ride on these incredibly dangerous, dangerous boats. Refugees will take any cash they can have. It's mostly cash societies. But by the time they get to a people smuggler, their last dollar, the last euro, the last dinar has been taken. But what father, what mother would not spend six to eight thousand bucks if that means as killers and rapists are moving in on the port, who would not drop their last cent just for the hope of safety? And so these families get on these dangerous boats and these evil people smugglers, I've dealt with them as evil as they get crooked businessmen and so they love to upsell don't you love when you get upsold when you like call your credit card company people smugglers do the same thing and they tell the families well the boats you know they're not so safe but for two hundred dollars per person we have these amazing life vests most people have never been on a water or body of water before no one can swim and so families are dishing out their last food money to buy these life vests but what's been striking us as odd this these last few summers is as these boats try to make it out of the Middle East to Europe, as these boats sink, you'll find the lifeless bodies washing up to shore, men, women, children, all wearing vests, but they all have drowned. So we wonder what was going on. So as you open these life vests, what do you find? Newspaper. Newspaper. People run for safety. People who give everything just not to die place their hope in crooked people. I think really this story illustrates how people's dreams for safety, for hope, are often just an illusion. 
the nightmare continues. It shows you also how the world deals with humanitarian emergencies like the refugee crisis. Mobsters and corrupt police rob refugees. Because of sectarian divides and violence, Muslim leaders turn a blind eye. And even our politicians love to make refugees scapegoats to support a political agenda. And this morning, I'm not talking about politics. I'm addressing the church, and I'm asking, should the church look at these situations through the eyes of a politician, through the eyes of an economist, through the eyes of fear, of survivor, survival, or should we look at these situations through the eyes of faith? You see, politicians should worry about national security. That's their job. Economists should worry about job security. It's their job. But you know what? The church does not have to be afraid about extinction, about survival, about security. Because Jesus Christ himself said what? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. What's if you and I, counter to culture, would look at these situations around the world, at hopelessness and suffering, and we would simply ask, Holy Spirit, what are you up to in this situation? God, politicians are saying this, economists are saying this, entertainers are saying this, but God, what are you up to? How can I bring glory to you? What if the church would look at human tragedy and not just think about survival, but would look at the opportunity? And as some of you will go to Dearborn, here is the reality. More Syrian refugees have come to faith in the last two years than in the entire history of the Syrian people. For over 100 years, missions organizations have tried to reach the over 180 unreached people groups in Syria and have failed. And guess what? We don't have to go far anymore. People are standing at our doors and they believe that if they could just meet one of you, they will find hope and then they can be safe. I want to encourage you as a church, but also as individuals, to, to look at every circumstance and ask, Holy Spirit, what are you up to? In my divorce, it's out of my hand. What are you up to? In my bankruptcy, in my failed business that I've just tried to, to hold on, Holy Spirit, what are you up to? For the spouses that just can't get along, Holy Spirit, how can you bring peace in this situation? How can we bring glory to your friends? God is sovereign in every calamity. There is no exception clause in God's sovereignty in his movement, in his work. You and I serve a God for whom nothing is impossible. God has been so good to Laura and I. I never tell my parents this, but... We have survived sniper attacks, shootings, a gun to my head, imprisonment, false accusations, a dump truck running us off the road by a gang, leaving us for dead, dangerous storms, earthquakes, being stuck in a building during an earthquake. We couldn't get the doors open. In every single one of the situation, God was not just watching and standing by. God was involved know what you're facing. You may feel alone, but God
God is for you. As I step back on a plane tomorrow to head to the unknown, I know something and you know something. Brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? God bless you. Hallelujah. Let's stand all across this place. The reality is that each of us are facing things in our lives that we need to invite the Holy Spirit in and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, have your way in me. I don't know what a lot of you are facing. I do know some of your stories. But I do believe that even in this moment and even in this series of when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I believe that the Holy Spirit himself wants to minister to reveal himself to you. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I need a special encouragement from the Holy Spirit for what I'm facing, would you just lift up your hand right where you are? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All across this place. In fact, just keep your hands up, and then I'm going to ask you to be really bold. I'm going to ask that you would come and just to find yourself at the altar here. You say, do I have to come? You don't have to, but there's a, there's an act of faith saying, you know what? I've come to the end of myself. I need something greater than me to help me to this point. So I'm just going to ask you to come, and we're going to just spend a moment in the presence of God, and we're going to believe that God is going to meet us and that he the, the Holy Spirit will help us right where we are. And if you see a friend or uh, someone that you're kind of drawn to, you can come put an arm around them as well and love on them this morning. What we are believing is that whatever we're facing, big or small, that the Lord, He wants He wants to speak into your situation. And so as you just come, I want you just to cry out to the Lord all across this place. Let's just do this together. Let's lift our hands. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to move in our situations. Come on, let's just call on the name of the Lord. Oh, God, we need you. Holy Spirit, fill us, God. Move in us. God, I pray. Have your way. Do something new in us, God, I pray. Pour out, Lord, across this place. Hallelujah. 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 Holy Spirit, have your way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise your name. our missionary guest, Dr. Mike, pulled into the parking lot, I was able to step out and greet him. And he said, man, look what God's doing here. And I think he was referring to the actual physical building. I'm not sure. But Brother Mike, what God is doing here is so much more important. 
as we're making room for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Father, we just ask that you would continue to stir in us, that you would continue to do a great work. And God, I pray that you would place your Holy Spirit on us. Tongues of fire, just like in the upper room. And Lord, that we would be motivated not only to face whatever we are facing in regards to our lives and the things that concern us, Lord, and those things concern you as well. But Lord, in regards to piercing the darkness, making a difference locally for your gospel to go forward to the ends of the earth, God, I pray. Holy Spirit, have your way. Move in this place. Continue to move in our hearts, and we'll give you the praise. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Give someone a hug or a high five. God bless you. God bless you. Go in the grace of God this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.